Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients, like homemade, but better. G2G Bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G bars, you will taste the difference. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is reporter for the Toronto Raptors for The Athletic, Blake Murphy. Blake, thanks for being today's guest on the show. I'm super excited to talk Raptors basketball with you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm more excited to talk about that, uh, what appears to be a Josh Scobie jersey behind you. <laughs> Indeed, it is. Is that, uh, do, do, do they like give you a certificate that says like, hey, yeah, this guy actually bought a, a kicker's jersey? Um, well, I guess the, the certificate I got was the fact that, um, you know, when I went down to a game in Jacksonville, I brought that Jersey and my game worn Byron Leftwich Jersey from 2003. So that's a huge throwback there. Love that. I, uh, a Byron Leftwich, an old, like teal, like not one of the official jerseys, like one of the knockoff jerseys is the only Jaguars jersey that I have and it's like it's so ratty at this point but it's gone it's gone past the point of being old to where like you know how an old piece of clothing like that gets a second life because it's you know it's a that's a hall of fame jersey for me at this point my my Byron Leftwich. I mean now I can say to people I have a jersey of a Super Bowl champion technically with as a coach of the Buccaneers you know him leading Tom Brady and it's uh, actually the funny thing is I found that Jersey at an antique village shop in Fort Langley, BC. It was $35. I, I swear it was the strangest thing. This guy had a little section in the store of very obscure NFL jerseys. He had Andre Ware, he had Sean King, he had Byron Lefwich, he had Cordell Stewart. And I was like, the fact that he has all these random jerseys is so weird, but I'll take a Lefwich one for 35 bucks with elastic sleeves, the crawling Jaguar and stitched. <laughs> Stitched everything. Thank you very much. Perfect. So when I did get to the game, I was like, well, it's going to be 26 degrees. I don't want to set on fire, even though the Scobie one was my favorite. Cause I played kicker in football. Like it, it kind of mm. went hand in hand with like favorite team, favorite position. And then what happened was I was like, you know what? I'll wear the teal one because I don't want to get too hot. Guess what happens? I go down to the line of Jaguars legends signing autographs and Josh Scobie is there. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Of course. The one time that I decided <laughs> not to wear this Jersey he is there in the flash. We still got a picture together, which is very nice. And I actually ended up making a connection with former Jaguars kicker, Mike Hollis, who connected me with Josh to have him on the podcast. So we talked a little about that. It was uh, amazing. It was, it was pretty cool. And for, for any Duval faithful out there who know, you know, it's a small community and it's almost like a, a family in a way that has to get used to being bullied by the rest of the league. But uh you know, the, the gif of LeBron with his hands on his shoulders, raising his head has to be how Jaguars fans feel now with having drafted Trevor Lawrence. So 
Gotta yeah. keep our fingers crossed for what's to come in 2021 in Jacksonville. I know you probably brought me on to talk Raptors and not Jaguars, but have you seen the clips of Urban Meyer and uh, the mascot being on All Elite Wrestling since oh. they've been filming at uh, at Daly's place? That has to be one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like Jaguars players, coaches get thrusted into that has to do with another sport. Like the first clip I saw, you could tell it was so insanely staged, but the way that Urban Meyer is just like, oh, here's my laptop. Or like, oh, uh, here's my chair. <laughs> it was just so funny with how, how mundane his reaction seemed and the fact that they went to that length and they were that creative with like, wrestling in his office like it's almost like that saying you know no public uh any publicity is good publicity there's no such thing as bad publicity and if that's what the jaguars are getting right now with the whole tim tebow and and the wrestling and all this stuff then i say bring it on because how much less national media coverage could they get than they already have from before it it wouldn't be possible well we'll see if trevor lawrence does anything about that Absolutely. And with the way that things are going in training camp, who knows how things are going to unfold. And I, I definitely do want to ask now that we're on this note and I didn't mind if this came up because I know that when you talk to another Jaguars fan, it's like the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the television. <laughs> like, mm, look, look, another person. <laughs> how come you're a Jaguars fan? I must know that. It was just kind of a weird random one. So when I first started, um, I wouldn't even say getting interested in football. So uh, my neighbor, when I was in like uh, somewhere in the like grade seven to 10 range, he ran, this was before like officefootballpools.com existed. He ran this big pool with like 30 of his friends for picks every year. And he paid me a little bit of money to do all the work in Excel, like put everyone's picks in, calculate who got how many points and the standings and all that. And this neighbor of mine was a big Seahawks fan. And for whatever reason, hated the Jaguars. So I got the first year that I had Madden, uh, they had was the Mark Brunel, Fred Taylor, Jimmy Smith combination. So right away you've got, well, my neighbors hate them. Uh, They have cool jerseys and all you need in Madden is you have a good quarterback, a good running back and one good receiver you could chunk it to. Uh, So that was, that was kind of it. And it just rolled from there. So was that Madden 2001 or 2002? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I'd have to go back and look at the rosters. Because I know that Jimmy, I mean, the last year Mark Burnett was on the Jaguars was 2002. And after, I think it was 2003 was when he left. So it might have been maybe even Madden 03. Like, that's that seems like it's like forever ago now. The fact that they were all on the Jags in Madden. Because for myself, my first exposure to that crew was NFL 2K on Dreamcast, which I still have. And I played it with my brother. And they had like the best, second best offense in the game. And Brunel was unreal. And obviously they had the whole, it was the AFC championship team that lost the Titans, like the 14 and two, Fred Taylor, Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardell, Mark Brunel, you know, Brackens, all the, everybody, but I'm, I'm sure the 14 and two didn't hurt either. If, uh, Oh no, if no, be it, completely it, honest. But. Yeah. And then, so then that was the only game we had. And we also had an Xbox and played Madden 07 and in Madden 07, now it was made the year the Jags went to the playoffs and beat the Steelers in the wild card game. So then they were good again. So it was just kind of double verification. Like, oh, well, they're good in this game. They're good in that game. I like their jerseys. I like the logo. Let's do it. And then when I started watching 2013, Blaine Gabbert throwing two pick sixes and losing to the Chiefs at home 28-2 is definitely a very different story than what I expected. But yeah, Bradley will do that to you as a head coach. Yeah, it just, uh, so yeah, it just kind of rolled from there, man. It was mostly Madden. And then my poor, my youngest brother is like, 
an enormous Jaguars fan now. And like, he just had a baby. I got the the baby, a little Jaguars onesie and stuff. And it's uh, yeah, I created a monster because he's like, he's texting me today. He's like, Hey, uh, do you think by boxing day, the borders will be open? Like, could we go to New York to watch Jaguars jets? And I'm like, Matthew, you just had a baby. If you try to go away at Christmas, your wife and your mom are going to kill you. Like, like you're trying to go away ba- the baby's first Christmas so you could see the Jaguars and Jets in what probably won't be too significant a game. He's uh, He's got a problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I would hope that the borders are open before then so you don't have to worry about missing out on, on Christmas. But at the same time, I mean, some Duval faithful are definitely that dedicated and get the opportunity to uh, – take the whole family down just so they can watch Zach Wilson play off against Trevor Lawrence to see who's going to get to six wins first, you know, and that's, uh, that's the unfortunate reality that Jags fans have to face is that the rebuild is so large that it's not going to turn, turn around just like that. And they're going to be in the playoffs and marching on the road in the wild card game into the divisional round, beating some big team. But again, you never know what's going to happen. And I mean, they went from three and 13 to the AFC championship. So Anything's possible, but it seems like a, a very large mountain to climb for the Jaguars at this point. That's okay. As long as they're doing the rebuild right, I'm not in a rush. It's when you get into those half measures that uh, it can get frustrating. So how now that parallels with cheering for the Raptors? You said you got into basketball when you were a little bit older, around 16 years old. Yeah. So were the Raptors, or I guess, have they been your only favorite team then in the entire time you've been watching basketball? Or how has that evolved over time? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was like a hockey kid growing up, uh, smaller town, Canada, you know, played rep and played it year round. And that was always my focus. Um, sometime in high school, you know, some some of my buddies played basketball and were into basketball, you know, early or not early, but like early mid Vince Carter years. So like I would have been in grade eight for the dunk contest year. Um so like a little bit after that. And then one of my first like full seasons as a fan was the year Vince got traded. It was awful. Um, so yeah. I, um, and, and then similar, I, I would say that my, my number two team until they moved was the Sonics. I uh, just loved playing with them in NBA live that Ray Allen, Richard Lewis combination. And then seeing myself and Nick Collison uh, in the game was, uh, was appreciated, but no, it's been, it's been Raptors. Uh, I'm like that across all sports. Like, the Leafs are, are regrettably my hockey team. The Jays are my baseball team. Uh, I just, I, I've never, football, I went way off board, but we don't have a team here. If we did, I, I would have gone Toronto too, probably. Oh, do the Argos not count? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about the CFL, man. Sorry. No, that's okay. And I mean. Other than, actually, the only thing I do know is that uh, Chad Owens, the, the, former, uh, the former Jaguar, who was, had some success there. Yeah, he had tons of success in the CFL, did outstanding job in Toronto, and then a little bit there in Hamilton before retiring, the Flying Hawaiian, as he was nicknamed. But that seems to be such a big trend in Toronto, is that people really don't like the CFL. And maybe it's because of the overwhelming number of choices they have to choose from other professional sports leagues, especially ones that are mostly based in the United States, as you previously mentioned with the Raptors in the NBA, the Blue Jays in the MLB, and then having the Maple Leafs in the NHL. You liked football, but not the Argos. Like, was there, was it basically that reason that deetered you away from even like getting into the CFL? 
No, I mean, honestly, the, the real answer is that football's always kind of been a sport that I engage with for um, video games and fantasy football. And the C- I, I don't know, I'm sure there are CFL fantasy leagues out there. I've never been in one. Um, I, there's not a, a CFL version of Madden as far as I know. So that's it. Like I, I've never been, my high school didn't have a football team and, uh, you know, I've never, football is the one sport that other than some brief periods when I was at the score, I've never really had to write about much. Um, so I don't know the game at like a, as deep a level as other sports. And yeah, so it's mostly just, you know, fantasy and gambling. And back when I played video games, um, I don't, I don't like dislike the CFL. I like going to a live game every now and then. Um, weirdly, I've still never been to an Argos game, but when I lived in Vancouver, uh, I went to some out there and then I've been to a couple Red Blacks games when I visit a friend in, in Ottawa. So uh, certainly nothing against the CFL. Just, you know, like you said, there are only so many, so many hours and so many of those that you can commit to sports, I guess. And especially if you're not a football fan in your heart of hearts to begin with, that definitely makes a big impact because football as many sports fans would know is definitely one of the most addicting to get involved with in terms of fantasy or gambling or anything like that because it's such a short season so competitive really hard to predict and you look at the money that's to be made it's crazy whereas other sports a lot more wide open i mean obviously people still do bet like crazy on the nba and nhl and mlb but the nfl just seems to to take the cake for some reason i don't know what if why that is or to put my finger on it i mean maybe just it being the most popular is the obvious answer but i mean it's got you at least hooked for x months of the year right yeah and and i think you know i think it's probably probably cuts a couple different ways and i think you know for a casual fan who's first getting into it the biggest thing is that football in my opinion is by far the best sport to play fantasy for you only have to set your roster once a week, it's like you said, it's a short-ish season, 13 weeks plus playoffs. The scoring is pretty straightforward to understand. It's, the, the rosters aren't huge unless you play in a league like my keeper league that has IDPs and everything like that. Um, so I think that's a good barrier for casual fans to, to get more hooked. And then I think on the gambling side, it's kind of the sport that lends itself to, obviously all sports use the point spread and basketball, it's a you know, it's pretty popular in college basketball and the NBA um, to talk about games in terms of point spread. But I feel like football has kind of, it's kind of the most accessible of like, okay, what does a three and a half point spread really mean? What does a six and a half point spread really mean? And why is that different from a seven and a half point spread? Um, Like if you were to try to teach someone sports gambling from nothing up, I think you'd use football as the as the example, because it's, it's kind of the, the easiest one to explain in, in those terms. So um, I think those two things make it, you know, football, if you're a hardcore football fan, the tactics involved in football and things like line play and blocking, you know, there's a ton you could unpack there, but I think football also serves a, a very casual purpose very easily with fantasy and gambling. For sure. And it definitely makes it, a lot more accessible. Like you said, there's less barriers to entry for casual fans to, to bet on and to really get into. Have you, have you been to an NFL game before? Yeah. Yeah. I've been to, I've been to a bunch of bills games. Um, I went to university in Kingston and we did like an annual trip where a bunch of us would go down and like stay in Niagara the night before and then be all hung over and 
limp to the to the tailgate the next day. Uh, and then I've done that with friends from from home in Cambridge some a couple times as well. Um, the only other I've been to a Detroit Lions game. I saw the Cardinals absolutely destroy them uh, a couple years ago, and I think that's the only other stadium I've been to for football. Well, being from Southern Ontario, it's a lot more accessible to get to those games in Detroit, in yeah. Buffalo, especially Buffalo. Like Buffalo is like for us here in Winnipeg, our version of that is when do the Vikings play my Vikings, favorite team? Yeah. Or if I'm a Vikings fan, when do I get to either save up tons of money to watch them play an NFC North team? Or when do I wait for them to play a bad team so I get cheap tickets? Which it's a bit of a difficult scenario because even though it isn't very, very far. It's not as close as Buffalo is to Toronto or to people right. who live. Do you in kind Toronto. of have to make a weekend of it to like make it really worthwhile? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no there and back in the same day or just stay overnight. And that's it. I mean, it's eight hours one way. So, okay. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. Like it's not, not and it's unfortunate, right? They used to have buses that went down there and now they don't. So it's uh, it's quite the journey for, for uh, Winnipeggers to get down to watch any NFL games or even Raptors games for that matter. The only NBA games I've been to are ones in Minnesota because when the Raptors play there, everyone travels down from Winnipeg as much as they can. It's like the Midwest version of when the Raptors play against Detroit. How many people go yeah. to the Or when the Jays the play the Mariners and everyone oh. comes down from Vancouver. Oh, I yeah. did that when I when I was out there. Uh, I never got to a, to a Blazers game in Portland, though. Like, it's not that bad a drive from Vancouver. And that's one of the basketball arenas I still haven't checked off is Portland. I, I missed my window there. So then what are so talking more about sports, live sporting events. There's so many different combinations that Canadian fans get to enjoy going across the border, depending on where they live. I know a lot of people who live in Alberta will split between somewhere in Minnesota or somewhere in Washington because it's kind of in the middle. But a lot of people, when I, especially when I live in Vancouver for a little bit, always go down to Seattle. That's a big thing. Winnipeg, people go down to watch Blue Jays play Twins. And then people who live in Southern Ontario go to Detroit go to Buffalo, go to New Jersey or other places along the Northeast coast. What is your dream sports trip that maybe you haven't done already? Cause you've covered so many amazing events and you've covered the Raptors and the NBA finals, which I can't even imagine what that was like being in the city, but you must have some, some grand event or maybe something that you've never been to, even if it's not as big and popular and, in uh in the eyes of most sports fans. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the Raptors in the, in the championship was, uh, was kind of the huge one. Um, I don't know that that's ever going to be topped. Like before that, I think my my two favorite events that I had been to, excluding Raptors, because obviously the championship takes number one, is uh, I saw George St. Pierre win the title at the first UFC that was in Canada, in Montreal. Um, and I've kind of like, I always thought I'd want to go and like cover like a big UFC title fight. Like maybe when I'm in Vegas for summer league one year, it lines up or whatever. Um, but I didn't realize that, you know, it's only, um, it's only like the highest of high media that actually get the sit cage side. Like it's not, it's not like boxing. When I interned at the Edmonton journal in Edmonton, I did a local boxing event and literally got blood on my laptop. Uh, but apparently, apparently uh, with UFC, you're like up in the gondola, like you would be for, for hockey. So that one's a little lower. Um, I did, I did Canada against the U S for the world baseball classic, which was really cool, which would make me, you know, think maybe a big international event. Like obviously if Canada is going to make the Olympics, that would have been cool. Uh, but I think this will be, 
this will be off board because like I've I've been to like 23 major league baseball stadiums and half the NBA stadiums and stuff. Like I've checked off a lot of uh, a lot of this stuff already. Um, but I really want to do a Japan trip and I want to, I want to try to time it where I can do the trifecta of a big new Japan pro wrestling event, uh, a sumo event and, uh, NPV baseball, uh, game all in kind of the same trip. And there's, there are a few times where they may be overlap, but I'm going to have to thread a needle there. That's very interesting that you brought that up. I thought you were going to immediately jump to watching Canada play basketball at the Olympics and covering that where you're going with the, with the, I mean, it's uh it's that one's tough because like, it's about to happen if they qualify and I'm not going to be there. So it seems silly to, to list that at number one, since I already know I'm not getting to do it. But now to touch base on the Raptor, or I mean the Raptors almost seems like the Raptors. You think Canada basketball is so synonymous with Canada basketball them winning their game against Greece the other day, really, really tightly contested matchup. You wrote an article talking about some of the barriers that they had experienced in the past that they're not really up against anymore. What do you think the likelihood is that Canada can actually qualify for the Olympics in basketball for this year? And what do you think it's going to take for them to get there? Yeah, I think, look, I think they have a really good chance here. And I I think beating Greece didn't really change my opinion of their strengths and weaknesses. And I think what that game showed with Greece getting out to a lead early and Canada needing a second half comeback is kind of what we expected. This Canadian team, not only do they skew young and not have a lot of major tournament experience together, uh, they also didn't play any tune-up games. Their only exhibition was against the U19 team that's now over in Latvia for, for the U19 World Cup. So they haven't played like that game against Greece. And that's an experienced veteran Greek team that's played a lot of time together uh, and had a couple tune-up games. That was Canada's first real game. So um, for them to try to figure out some stuff on the fly, I kind of, you know, that Canada was a double-digit point favorite, and, and I banged Greece with the with the points in that one, thinking it was uh, it was going to be a tougher one. Um, but you know, they, they kind of held the form. So the big thing from here is um, tonight they'll play China. They're a twenty-five point favorite in that game. China's a China is a challenge though because they're a very different style than Greece was last night. Um, whereas Greek was big and wanted to slow things down and grind it out inside. China's the only team in this tournament that's going to want to run even more than Canada does. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be an interesting one, but the big, the big tests are coming in the semis and the finals and Turkey didn't look great last night until Chetty Osman kind of took over late and pulled them away from a, a near upset against Uruguay. Um, but Turkey and Czech Republic are, are both pretty good and they're both quite big. Um, so Canada has a, some challenge there, but I, I said before the tournament that, you know, I thought Canada had, you know, roughly a 50, 50 chance of winning the Vegas odds said implied probability of like 66% of them winning, which I thought was a little bit high, uh, but it's probably somewhere in there, you know, uh, a one and two chance to a one and three or to a two and three chance. Um, you know, the, the tough part is like, if this tournament were like a 82 game season, I'd say, yes, Canada is going to win. Uh, but this is a tournament format where you get one loss, maybe. And if you if you do that, then, then you're out of there. So there's zero room for error uh, once they get to the stage of Turkey and the Czechs. It's such a difficult path, it seems, reminiscent to that of college football, where you lose one game and the committee's like, yeah, that's it, you're done, Zo. Unless your name is Alabama, then you could lose up to three <laughs> or four games. And then they'll still squeeze you in because they know you're going to turn it on. But... 
this is, I've always had a very love hate relationship with basketball at the Olympics. Not because I don't think that it's entertaining, but because it almost seems like a foregone conclusion that the U S are always going to win or that they're always going to be in the gold medal game. And the only way that another team is going to challenge is if some European team or Australia bands together, all the NBA players they got, you know, put all their chips on the table and they hope and pray that America just eases up or eh, all the best stars are not going to go to the Olympics. They can still probably squeak one out kind of like what happened in 2004. So knowing that Canada is in this position where they're looking to qualify as their success, what is the probability or how do you think Canada can find a way for them to be more established and more of a, a force to be reckoned with in international basketball? Because there is that looming shadow of, oh, well, the U.S. is just going to win anyways. Yeah, I mean, first, I, I don't know that the U.S. is – look, their roster is very good this time around. They came seventh in the 2019 World Cup. Um, I know the U.S. doesn't take the World Cup as seriously as it does the Olympics. Um, it's kind of this weird dichotomy where to us here in North America, like the Olympics feel like the big event. But to a lot of European and South American countries, the World Cup is the biggest event on the basketball schedule. It's a much bigger tournament. It's much harder to win um, because there are 32 teams and there are, you know, you got to win a lot of games uh, to win that World Cup, whereas the Olympics is a, a pretty quick 12-team uh, format. So, um, you know, that that's one thing. I, I do think these other teams are, are going to think that they – they can knock off the U.S. who maybe won't have a lot of um, prep time. And then, you know, as you've seen with some teams in the past, there's occasionally a level of hubris there. But uh, the big thing for Canada right now is even if they're not going to unseat the U.S., you know, they've got to start building together. And, and I think that what making the Olympics does is a couple things. I think, you know, for the guys who are there and go through that experience, their commitment level to that program is only going to grow. I've never talked to a player who represented their country and was like, no, that's not something I'd recommend to other players in the future. So um, you've got that group that'll be, you know, the young guys there that'll be locked in. And then, hey, 2023 World Cup, 2024 Olympic cycle, maybe five or six of these guys have gone through an Olympic tournament, an Olympic qualifying tournament together. So we're not talking about an experience disadvantage against Greece or Turkey um, as a unit. And then, you know, you hope that what that does is, it further encourages other guys to sign up because, Hey, Canada, you know, they came sixth in the Olympics. What could we do if Shea Gilders Alexander and Jamal Murray are healthy or, you know, this next wave of kids, Ben Mathurin and uh, Charles Bidiaco and Zach Eady. Um, and then further down the line, Caleb Houston, like, like what if those guys are committed to the program too? Um, all of those guys who, by the way, have a really good chance to medal uh, at the U19 world cup uh, that that's going running kind of simultaneously to these, uh, Olympic qualifier. So I think that's the thing, right? It is the Olympics for a team in Canada's position are not just about, Hey, can we win gold, silver, or bronze? Um, that team is good enough to compete. And, and um, you know, it's not going to be like 2000 where if you get a win or two, uh, you know, that that's cause for celebration. They, they could make some noise there, but the big thing is it's been 21 years since Canada got to that stage. And we've checked every single box as a basketball country in terms of growth. And that's Raptor success and the Vince Carter years and individual Canadian success at the NBA level, the women's program being consistently really, really good and having WNBA representation. The only thing that hasn't been checked off yet is the senior men's team having success in major international tournaments. And I think 
you know, there's a bit of a risk of if they don't do it this time, you know, you got to wait another couple of years, another Olympic cycle, you know, does the enthusiasm and some of that momentum um, not die out, but, but does it diminish a little bit? So I think, I think there's a lot on the line for the, the men's side of the program here. It, the way that you describe the significance of this opportunity for the Canadian men's national basketball program reminds me of the window of opportunity that the men's soccer team has, because you look, you know, the women, they've done great in basketball and soccer and the men are the one that have to pick up the slack and have to really pull their socks up to a point where they can actually compete against other teams at major international tournaments. So knowing that if Canada misses the boat on the Olympics here, what is the next step for them? Because you've seen it before where they, like you said, they get the one or two win at wins at, at uh, Sydney 2000 and that's cause for celebration. But is that something really to be a point of pride if two decades go by before they even maybe make it again? Like this is, it's, it is very difficult because to really analyze how they can progress because you look at what you just mentioned, the Vince Carter years, individual success for Canadian NBA players and them, then obviously the Raptors winning the championship, which is huge for basketball in Canada. But what is it going to be that is going to allow Canadian basketball to have a strong foundation and not worry about regression in between Olympic cycles or hope for one person to, to pull up and, and save the day for everybody? Yeah. I mean, I think they're doing it right. I, I think, you look and there's 20 some odd NBA players from Canada. And like that question of like, Oh, what country will have the second most players after the U S and the NBA this year? It's not even a question anymore. And you look at, and there's like to conservatively rank a Canadian likely to go in the lottery in the 2022, 2023, 2024 draft. Like, like they're, they're coming up. If you consider Chris Duarte Canadian, which only some people do and some people don't, uh, you know, you could extend that to, to this year as well. So, um, you know, I, I think you're seeing that stuff. And again, I can't say enough about how the women's side has already done all this stuff, like in soccer. Um, but, you know, I, I think if we're being realistic, you know, only of the 12 spots in the Olympics, only two are locked in for teams from the Americas. And one of those is always going to be the U.S., so there's one spot for Argentina and Venezuela and Canada and Mexico and Brazil. Um, and then the rest of them are fighting in these last chance qualifiers. Um, so it's hard to make the Olympics is the real answer. Uh, but I would say, yeah, if they don't do it this time, it's they're, they're going to have to kind of take a step back and figure out, you know, how do they how do they better prepare for these tournaments like the World Cup or the Olympic qualifiers and how do you tackle the challenges of, because obviously having a ton of NBA talent is a huge benefit, but it's also a challenge at times for, you know, Canada didn't play any exhibition games. And in part, that's because probably because it costs money to get teams into Tampa Bay or to go to Victoria early or whatever. Um, and part of it is that you're then taking what is a three week commitment ask from NBA players who then have to, you know, if you're Nikhil Alexander Walker, come out of your development program that the new Orleans Pelicans have laid out for you. Or if you're, you know, uh, Ken Birch and Kelly Olenek who aren't playing, you know, there are insurance concerns with free agency and you're taking that three week window and maybe it's a five week window and that's a bigger ask and maybe turnouts worse. So it, there are all these kind of competing things and Canada basketball does not have uh, a ton of money to, to kind of just throw money at the problem. So um, yeah, I don't have a, an immediate answer right now, 
because I'm trying to be optimistic that they're going to make the Olympics this time. Uh, but yeah, if they don't, uh, if they don't do it, I'll go dust off my column from the, from the last Olympic cycle. I'll just change some of the names. So the road ahead is not going to be easy for Canada, but we do know that there is an opportunity for them to make it. What does the road look like? They play China tonight as we're recording here on June 30th. And what needs to happen next for Canada to make the Olympics? Yeah. So um, again, Canada's huge, huge favorite against China. Um, so if we assume that they're going to win that game, uh, they will, they would then win their group uh, with the two no record by, because they beat Greece uh, last night. So they will then play on Friday against wait, what's today, Wednesday. Yes. Okay. Then they would play Saturday against um, the second place team from the other pool. So Turkey, Czech Republic, or Uruguay. Um, and then, so after this China game, Canada moves into single elimination format. It's a very brief tournament. Um, it'll be a group A team one versus group B team two and the inverse. And those are the semifinals. And then you go on to the finals. So um, after tonight, there's only two games and you got to win them both. And uh, they're likely coming against two of Turkey, the Czech and Greece again, depending on how the semifinals play out. So um, none of those are easy games because the reality is in these last chance qualifiers, there are a lot of teams that this is why I love the world cup so much is, you know, we've got Slovenia and Lithuania and Brazil and, and Canada and all these teams that could consider Croatia and all these teams that could conceivably not make the Olympic field that would be in a very deep world cup field. So um, I'm trying to enjoy these tournaments, but part of me is like, man, if the Olympics was 16 teams instead uh, like, like we might not get Olympic Luca. So it's, uh, I mean, that's basically it. it, is it's really hard to make the Olympics at this stage. Um, you know, eight of the, seven of the spots going to the World Cup, one to the host, and four via these last chance tournaments. So um, all of that is to say, after tonight, the room for error is zero because it's a uh, single elimination after that. And maybe there it needs to be a push for it to be a 16-team tournament and start it a little fun. bit earlier. Because then it's like the college football playoff, like four teams, pencil in Alabama, pencil in Clemson or Ohio State, throw in Notre Dame, piss everybody off. Alabama plays in the final. They lose. Everyone celebrates. They win. Everyone's angry or except for Alabama fans. And there you go. Boom. That's your college football playoff. Like, what is that? There you go. Make everyone as, as many people as can be angry at once. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely clear on why. Um, the IOC and FIBA are want it to be a, a 12 team tournament versus a larger field. Maybe it's, um, you know, logistically with so much going on at the Olympics and how long the tournament already is. But to me, I see it. And that's, that's four more teams to get money from. And, and we know that's, uh, that's what the IOC's, uh, you know, really looking at with these decisions. So the same reason why they expanded the Euro, the same reason why they expanded the world cup and, the Olympics should not be any different in this case, especially considering the fact that it could bring about more entertaining basketball, because like you said, you know, I mean, the U S may find more competition, you know, each and every tournament. And so why not throw out another country and say, Hey, well, you never know how good Lavia could be, or they could be a dark horse or what if Slovenia shows up and they put together a good tournament, you never know. Right. Or even Brazil. I know that, they do good sometimes and they do eh sometimes, but 
having those extra dark horses, I don't think hurts the Olympic tournament. And if America was really destined to win it all every time, then they're still going to win 16 or 12 teams. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I think if you're uh, if you're a player and you're looking in legacy terms, uh, you know, winning a, a tougher tournament looks better, right? Like, like the dream team beat some real teams uh, by like 80 points, but um, uh, you know, so I think even the U S you look at what their Olympic path could look like um, this year, they're already in a pool with France and that's the pool Canada would draw into if they win uh, this tournament. So right away, basically that pool has three of the four or five countries with the most NBA talent, um, you know, whether the roster shake out that way or not, because obviously international talent is a factor here too, but uh, you want to talk about these guys that are suiting up for the U S you know, helping their, their image and, and their um, their legacies and stuff like that. Well, going through a, a pretty tough tournament like that is, is a good way to do it. So Blake, we're getting towards the end of our time in today's episode. So I want to finish up with a few rapid fire fun questions before we go. Sure. Who is the most underrated Toronto Raptor of all time? Of all time. Um, probably Amir Johnson. <laughs> I love that answer. I, I concur with that 100%. Analytic stud. Favorite sports movie? Um, everybody Wants Some. Have you ever seen that one? It's I've like not. a college baseball movie. Uh, it's a Linklater movie. There's not a ton of baseball in it, but it's uh, it's very good. And yeah, it's a uh, it's like a college, like a college dude movie meets a baseball movie with like a little bit of Linklater emo sprinkled in. It's good. <laughs> Favorite sports rivalry in the major four leagues in North America. Ah. <sighs> been so long since Celtics Lakers meant anything so um I don't really know Toronto Maple Leafs and, and fate I don't I don't uh I don't have a great answer for this one I'd have to think about it more okay well I'll go to another one then for in terms of games you've been to what is the most fun event that you have had the opportunity to cover in North America again? So cover, not but not as a fan. Both, as a fan okay. and to cover. Okay, because as a fan, it was probably that George St. Pierre. Uh, oh, actually, as a fan, it was Edwin Encarnacion's wild card walk-off home run. Uh, is that because I was, I was definitely not there as media for that game. <laughs> I was. Uh, a few few beers in for that one. It was a lot of fun. Um, as as media, um, I game six against the Bucks. I, it's hard. It's hard not to say game six against the Warriors, obviously because they won the title. Um, but yeah, game six against the Bucks and game seven against Philly were amazing from a from a work perspective. That whole run, man, it's like all big, one big blur of just like amazing work nights. I can only imagine what that would have been like. What is harder, in your opinion, winning the World Series or winning the Stanley Cup Finals? Ooh. 
Um, I'm going to say winning the World Series. Um, obviously, the Stanley Cup I think takes a larger physical toll, but baseball is so random that like you can't you can be. I guess the way I'm trying to phrase this is if you're a very good team that deserves to win the world series is harder to win because baseball is so random and you know, the, the Kansas city Royals win a world series with no good players. And um, whereas the Stanley cup, it's like, it's closer to like a war of attrition and, and um, you know, there's a physical component to that where baseball can be uh, pretty cruel with the randomness. And the final one, what is one take that you have in sports? It can be any, any, anyone that most people don't agree with you on, but you will die on the hill for. Uh, yeah. So there's a, there's like a running joke in one of my group chats that all my takes usually pan out except for two. And it's uh, one, if you're familiar with wrestling, uh, it's that Bray Wyatt is good. And the other one is that Dylan Bundy will win a Cy Young. Um, so I've been on that train since, I don't know, early, early, early on Dylan Bundy. And I've, I've tricked myself into drafting him just about every year. And last year it looked like he was finally figuring it out. And now he's got an ERA of like 70 throwing up on the mound. Um, but I'm sticking with it. Dylan Bundy, he's only 28. He's still got like seven, eight years to, to figure it out and win a Cy Young. You're already here first folks. You got to wish and make sure you head right to the bookie and, and see the spread on yeah, Bunny just Wing. Not, just not this year. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no coming back from, uh, from uh, ERA of six or seven or whatever it is. It's, I always love to know what people's like hot takes in sports are that seem obscure that people like vehemently disagree with because sometimes you get that Alex Jones stroke a lock where you just hit that one on the nail on the head. And you're like, I'm, I am a sports genius. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, Blake, I want to thank you for having been on today's episode. It was a great time talking Canadian basketball oddities and sports and how you got started being a Jaguars fan. I'm very glad that I now know that I'm not alone in my video game origin of cheering for the team. You're not alone, man. You can uh, shoot me a message about the Jags anytime. And, and if you're really hardcore, I'll just connect you with my brother. I'll cut out the middleman because I'll just be stealing both of your takes and be like, oh, yeah, this. Um, but, yeah, I'm ready to – I don't have a system or anything right now, but I'm definitely going to get my hands – I'm going to borrow or, or go over to someone's place when the new Madden comes out. i gotta got to see how Trevor Lawrence feels, you know? Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode with Raptors reporter for The Athletic, Blake Murphy. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Touchdown. Matt Stiegel. Touchdown. Regal. 138. And he's the all-time Canadian Football League. Touchdown, King. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.